This sermon, A Passion for Prayer, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, January 1st, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, Happy New Year. If you're visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. My name is Derek. I have the privilege of serving alongside of Tom and Tim Lambros as a pastor in this precious, precious church. We, we trust that you know the Lord has directed your steps here, and we trust that he has something for you, a reason that you're here, uh, and that will be his doing and not the doing of any sermon or time of singing, but his doing and his doing alone. Would you open up your Bibles to James 5? Uh, if you're not very familiar with the book of James, uh, you know, James gets a bad rap oftentimes. A lot of people, so, well, not a lot of people, some people uh, I've heard that they don't really like James that much. Isn't that weird? We don't like the Word of God that much. I don't think that's their intention. But their point is that, boy, it's, it's so man-centered. It can be so man-centered, and indeed it can. But really, if you understand James, and if you read his words through the lens of the way we read the entire Bible, the cross, you find that James is a treasure trove of grace. And I would encourage you, if you've never studied the book of James, we preached through it a few years ago, feel free to get on our website and check that series out. It's a wonderful book. It's a life-transforming book. And, and it speaks to us in not only gospel-centered ways, but very practical ways. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, listen to Steve Miller, who wrote a a wonderful book on Charles Spurgeon. He writes about Mr. Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher. He said, what stood out above all in Spurgeon's life as a minister, even more than his extraordinary giftedness for preaching, and that's, this is saying something because he was an amazing preacher, was his diligence in prayer. Not only was he faithful in the practice of prayer, he also bathed all of life in prayer. He goes on to quote somebody else saying, prayer for Spurgeon was the instinct of his soul and the atmosphere of his life. One of the things that Spurgeon loved to do and was a demonstration that he was so passionate about prayer is that one of the things he loved to do was give tours of the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he pastored and preached. He loved uh, just showing people through what God had built. And there was a group that would meet in the basement of the church, I think daily, and they would pray. And he would get, the, get his guests down to that room and he'd open up that door, and he would say, this is the powerhouse of the church. The church praying, the group of people gathered in the basement of the church for Mr. Spurgeon was the powerhouse of the church. And that's the point in this morning's sermon, and it's the way we're beginning 2023. The message this morning is simple. A prayerful church is a powerful church. Where, where there is prayer, there is power, because when we pray, the power of God 
is unleashed. As we begin the new year together as pastors, we felt like, boy, we, we want to point the people to the practice of prayer. And the goal this morning is not to tell you how you should pray. It's not to tell you when you should pray or what you should pray for. My prayer as the preacher this morning is that as we begin this new year that God would rekindle and refresh a, and refresh a new passion perhaps for some for the first time a passion for prayer and a passion to be a people of prayer whether your prayer life is robust as ever as you turn the corner into this new year whether your prayer life is on life support and you know it or it's non-existent and you're ashamed of it. I believe God wants to stir our hearts today to more sweet communion with him. And for that, we look to James. So would you stand with me? James 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18, primarily 16 through 18. But let's read God's word together. This is, it's not merely James' words. These are the words of the Lord to his people. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You may be seated. Let's go to the, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Oh, Lord, thank you that the first day of the year brings us here, <laughs> gathered with your people to declare your praises through song and the preaching of your word and prayer. Lord, as we turn the corner into this new year, some, too, all, all too often we, we look to the new year as an opportunity for a fresh start or perhaps new prospects. But Lord, I, I ask that you would cause us to look to the God who does not change. That this morning as we look into your word, that you would start a fire in our hearts, that you would fan the flames of what is there, that you would give us a passion for you that is expressed in a passion for prayer to you. Lord, I pray that, 
the effect of today would, would be that we would leave here aware of what a mighty God you are and what a gracious God that you would grant us the means of prayer, not only to commune with you, but to experience your power. Lord, I pray that for those who are here who have never said a prayer before, certainly have never cried out for the mercy of Jesus and the transforming and saving power of the gospel to apply to them. I pray that that would happen today. Save the lost in our midst. Convict the idle in our midst. Encourage the, the faint-hearted in our midst. We pray and ask you of these things. And we pray that you, your spirit would make the word clear to us this morning. For our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two points this morning. The first one is prayer is powerful. The second one is prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. It's, as you know, you've probably read this text before, but even as we just read it, it's easy to see that there's a lot going, into the, going on in this passage. There's a lot of questions that we can ask of this passage, both theologically and methodologically. But we're not going to get to all of that today. Because what is clear in this passage is that the subject of this entire section is prayer. Did you notice as we read seven times, James mentions prayer. Everything in the context of this passage is connected to prayer in some way. James is trying to persuade his readers that faith-filled prayer is always the truest and most powerful response in life for the believer. Verse 13, he says, are you suffering? Pray. In verse 14 and 15, are you sick? Then pray. Salvation for the lost soul in 15 and 16, pray. Verse 16, healing for sin-torn relationships, pray. Get the point? It's, it's really not too hard as you read this passage to go, I think I know what this passage, I can't answer all the questions in this passage, but I think I know what this passage is about. It's about prayer. That there is a place for medicine when we fall ill. Let's not be naive and proud. But we must pray above all things for the sick. There is a place for our evangelistic efforts and a ministry like the bridge course. But we must pray for the lost. There's a place for working through relational difficulties. But we must pray for one another. Pray, Christian, pray. That's what James wants us to hear above all things here. Pray, and pray with faith. Now, as we approach this, the, the, the truth is that, uh, you know, we need to pray, don't we? I mean, who here is, you know, we are too weak not to pray. We, we, are, we are too needy not to pray. We are too desperate not to pray. We read a good book years ago, the title we are too busy not to pray. 
Whatever else we do, we must pray. Whatever else we do, prayer is always the best response for a believer. And so James in verse 16, after reminding us, pray, 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 pray. <laughs> he, spent, he spent the first four chapters talking about doing the word, doing the word, doing the word. Now he says, pray, pray, pray. And then in verse 16, he says this. He tells us why. Notice what it says. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. James says prayer is powerful. And I backed away from that this week and I thought, yeah, but prayer can seem so unimpressive can't it? A few words under my breath on the way to an appointment. A desperate cry that no one else hears at the foot of my bed late at night. Prayer can just seem so unimpressive. And that's the message that we get in our, even in our culture today. More and more when there's a tragedy in our country and somebody says pray, there's always a voice coming back. We don't need prayer anymore. It doesn't work. We want action. <laughs> prayer can seem so unimpressive, but in reality, James wants us to see that faith-filled prayer is a powerful means of grace waiting to be unleashed in the believer's life. Uh, we, my wife and I were coming back from Arkansas this summer, and we visited my brother who just moved to the outside the Fort Worth area. And so if you've ever driven through Texas, you know that between Tucson and Fort Worth, you might as well be on the moon, right? I mean, there's nothing there except for oil derricks, right? Rusty, ugly, oil derricks litter the landscape, right? And it is a barren landscape, right? Those, those oil derricks, uh, they're just scattered across the boring and barren area that is known as West Texas. And if you're from Texas, you know it and you love it. <laughs> but what's unbelievable, but, but what's, what lies below, hopefully, <laughs> That barren and boring terrain, gold, black gold, right? The earth is rich, resource with resource, just waiting to be released. James says, so it is with prayer. Prayer has great power, just waiting to be tapped into. That, that's the idea here, prayer has great power because when we pray to God, we are unleashing the power of God. And I'm going to show you that in a minute when we look at what he means by, when he says, uh, uh, in verse 16, when he says, as it is working. But for right now, listen to what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon says, my own soul's conviction 
is that prayer is the greatest power in the entire universe, that it has a more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction, gravitation, or any other of those secret forces which men have called by name, but which they do not understand. Prayer has great power. And it is effective. Notice verse 16 again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. As it is working. You could translate that last phrase, as it is working, like this. Prayer has great power in its effects. That, that's that's. That's the thrust here. Listen to how this comes through in other translations. In the King James Version, it says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The NASB says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The NIV says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, and it just simply says, and effective. In other words, James says prayer brings results. That's James' point here. Prayer is powerful and it is effective. It is powerful and in its power, it works. Now, let's be honest for a moment. There is a mystery when it comes to prayer, right? We know that. We've experienced that. Prayer is not magic, Prayer is useless apart from God's power because the power is not ultimately in the prayer. It's in the God to whom we pray. He is the source. It's God who delivers. It's God who heals. It's God who changes the hearts of kings and presidents. It's God who gives wisdom. It's God who grants perseverance. The power belongs to God. It is God who is working in all things according to his perfect purposes. The truth is, the God of boundless and endless resources does not stand in need of our prayers, yet he invites us to pray. He invites us to come to him. Prayer is a way in which we acknowledge our dependence upon God and his ability, his godness. Prayer is a way in which we recognize him for who he is and who we are. So God doesn't need our prayers, but he certainly calls us to pray. In fact, Scripture repeatedly stresses this, right? Repeatedly stresses that God calls us to pray, and when God's people pray, he works. When God's people pray, we experience his power through humble, faith-filled, God-centered prayer. Think about Acts 4. We've been studying the book of Acts, and we're getting back to that next Sunday. But think about Acts 4, under strict orders not to evangelize, the early church gathered to pray for boldness. 
And they were immediately filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to do the will of God, which was to boldly preach the gospel under threat of life. (laughs) Through their prayer, God empowered them to do something that, humanly speaking, was crazy. (laughs) Think about 2 Chronicles 7. The Lord said at the temple, when my people humble themselves and pray, then I will work in their midst. Take something as practical as wisdom. Look at chapter 1 of James, verse 5. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. In other words, pray for it. For he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want to release the the wisdom of God for your circumstance, pray. And in each of those examples, did, did you notice something about each one of those examples? The prayer was powerful and effective because it was connected to God. It was connected. It wasn't connected to a saint. It wasn't connected to a divine being that's nameless. It wasn't connected to simply a higher power. It was connected to God Himself, Yahweh. Because when, so that's the answer to the power. When we pray, we get God. That's what we get. See, when we depend on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do. In this life, when we depend on money, we get what money can do. When we depend on man, we get what man can do. But when we depend on God through prayer, we get what God can do. Do We get the God who can do more than you can ask or think according to Ephesians 3.20. We get the God of infinite mercy and grace and power who avails himself to us in the most intimate, all-caring, and all-powerful way. When we pray, we get God. The great Puritan said, O believing brethren, what an instrument is this which God hath put into our hands. Prayer moves him that moves the universe. Prayer moves him that moves the universe. Boy, does that sound like We are powerful, doesn't it? We're not. But God in his infinite wisdom has ordained that he will work through the means of his people's prayer. And so when we pray, he moves. Prayer is powerfully effective because when we pray, we get God. Now listen, I I, I am aware of the ever-present temptation, whether it's in my own life or it's talking to you, 
that ever-present temptation to doubt the power and effectiveness of prayer. And I think one of the reasons why we do that oftentimes is because we seem to have so many unanswered prayers in our own lives, right? Too often we live by sight. We don't want to believe in the gifts because we haven't seen the gifts. Well, that doesn't matter. If God says there's gifts, there's gifts. It probably has to do with us and our own faith. And so there's doubt. You've been praying and you've been praying hard for that lost family member, for that debilitating illness, for that troubled marriage, for that besetting sin. So many prayers, yet zero answers. It's real. And in some ways, it's a mystery. But it doesn't change the fact that God is merciful and loving and able and all-powerful and all-knowing. If you're there this morning... I want you to know a couple things. One, you're in good company. In 2 Samuel 12, David, a man that God himself called a man after his own heart, prayed for his young son's life to be spared. Imagine how he cried out in the palace. His prayers probably echoed from room to room. His child wasn't spared. In 2 Corinthians 12, we learn that Paul, the apostle of apostles, prayed repeatedly for a debilitating throne, thorn in his flesh to be removed. It wasn't. In Luke 22, we find Jesus himself in the garden on the eve of of his crucifixion, face down in the mud, praying, Father, take this cup from me. God didn't. And the next day, Jesus breathed his last, having endured the eternal wrath of God for sinners like you and I. There's always mystery involved, especially with why our prayers go unanswered. But you know, it's not just that we can look back and identify with people. James actually gives us reasons in his letter. Notice, go back again to chapter 1, verse 5. Notice what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And then he says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." (laughs) The context of praying for wisdom 
is not whether or not I should take that job. The context is set for us in the first previous four verses. In trials, the first and foremost application for praying for God's wisdom is in the midst of trial and suffering. It doesn't stop there, but that's the immediate context for that application. And James says, yeah, your prayer may go unanswered. You may not receive the wisdom that you need because of an absence of faith. Another reason James put forth that our prayers might not be answered is that we're not praying in accord with God's will. Notice chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I believe it's 1 John 4. It says, when we ask according to God's will, he will grant it. Or, our prayers can go answered because of the absence of humility. Read James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore, says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know what it looks like for God to oppose the proud, I think I know what it looks like for God to oppose the proud who are not his children, but his children can grow proud as well. But I'm pretty sure, at a minimum, it's probably not answering your prayers. If you're a husband in the room, go read 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, for she is a co-heir with you in Christ. And then Peter says, paraphrasing here, because if you don't, the Lord won't answer your prayers. I don't know how all that works. There's a mystery. But what is clear is that there are reasons that God doesn't answer our prayers. Or think sometimes, and I would say that most of the time this is probably it, God just has a better plan than me. <laughs> Do you remember Joseph? The life of Joseph. He had no idea that through his situation, God would preserve the Hebrew people. When the famine would come, Joseph would be positioned to have favor with Pharaoh, and his family would be granted land and have the food they needed. Otherwise, his family starves in the desert. End of story. <laughs> so sometimes, most of the time I would submit, God simply has a better plan than you and I. He simply has a better plan. And so listen, in times of unanswered prayer, we should not grow doubtful of God. We should not grow weary in prayer, but continue to pray to pray without ceasing as we trust in the mercy of God and his promises that in Christ he will never forsake us, that in Christ his mercies are new every day, that in Christ his grace is always sufficient for the situation. We should continue to pray knowing that the God we pray to has made, has made it clear that his ways aren't our ways right? 
Is that, that one on your fridge? <laughs> I love what John Piper says, and I've said it before. God is always doing 10,000 things at once. We might, not, we might know two of them, and then those were probably wrong. God's ways are not our ways. I would submit we don't always want our prayers answered the way we want them answered. George Mueller, if you're familiar with him, he was a 19th century evangelist from England. He had five unbelieving friends, right? Five unbelieving friends. This should encourage us for the bridge ministry. He had five unbelieving friends that he prayed for continually. After just a few months, the first friend came to the Lord. Ten years later, for those of you who've been praying for somebody for a long time, for a decade, ten years later, two others were saved. It was 25 years before the fourth friend was saved. Fifty-two years later, Shortly after Mueller's death, the fifth friend came to the Lord. Mueller didn't even know his prayers were answered. Don't grow weary of praying. Keep praying. Pray without ceasing. God hears your prayers. He knows your prayers. And above all, he knows what he is doing. He does. I might not think he does, but he does. And so keep praying. There's one more thing in this text that we need to understand. <clears throat> Back to verse 16. That's really what we're doing here is we're unpacking verse 16. Notice it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person. Prayer is a powerful hands or is a powerful uh, weapon in the hands of someone who is righteous who is righteous in the eyes of God. Who is James referring to here? Is it the person who has extraordinary faith? Is it the person who has the utmost character and integrity? Think of the godliest person you know. Is it that person? Who is James speaking of? Well, notice verse 17. James brings this illustration in with Elijah from the Old Testament. It just comes out of nowhere. But notice what he says in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain in the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah's power prayers obviously were powerful and effective. They altered the weather. Now, if you think you can alter the weather, please pray right now because I want to ride my motorcycle after church and I, that weather's awful. Where's my faith? 
good comeback. But I want you to notice the description of Elijah in verse 17. Look back at your Bible. Verse 17. There's this odd description of Elijah, or at least it seems odd on the surface. Does James say that he was a super saint? No. Does James say Elijah, his faith was bulletproof? No. It doesn't say that his moral character was perfect. It says what? His nature was like ours. Meaning, he too was an imperfect sinner like you and I. And yet, God worked mightily through his prayers. He was an imperfect sinner like you and I. But you know what? By faith, he was a righteous man. By faith in God, he was right with God. And this promise that our prayers are powerful and effective, this promise is for everyone who believes in Christ because what qualifies you as righteous is not whether or not you'll actually read the by the entire Bible through in 2023. It is not what you do or what you know. I don't care if you can cite Grudem's systematic theology by heart. What matters is who you know. Elijah knew God by faith. He was righteous. The righteous man is the one who knows God by faith in Jesus. I love when I go to other cities to tour NFL football stadiums. And I'm always amazed because I find myself Indianapolis Colts, 2016. I'm with Kyle Holton at a pastor's conference. He used to be a pastor here. Planted a church in Santa Ana, California. They're doing great. Pray for them this year. But we're standing on the horseshoe on the 50-yard line. I've been in the Denver Broncos locker room. Yes, I know you can see the glow even now. (laughs) I have been in places where I could only dream to go. The New York Yankees locker room, and there I stood right in front of Derek Jeter's locker. Wow! But I was touring one of those stadiums one day, and it was a gospel moment. As I realized, I'm going to all of these places. How did I get in here? Oh, I know, I paid 50 bucks. But I'm just, I'm walking around in the New York Yankees locker room. I'm walking around midfield in the Indianapolis Colts. By the way, I'm a Broncos fan, so that wasn't that big of a deal, but still. How did I get here? Oh, that person right up there, they got the key. 
That's getting me in all these places. And if somebody comes in to stop me and says, hey, you don't belong here, I say, I'm with him. That's how I got in there. That's how I got access. And that's the promise of Hebrews 4.16, which is, which is about prayer. We can draw near to God through prayer and be assured before the throne of God that we will always find mercy and grace from him. Why? Because we come in the name of Jesus. Because we know by faith and grace, we know Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our great high priest who goes before us. He is our eternal high priest who intercedes on our behalf before the throne of God even now. And it's his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension that secures the promise and privilege of prayer for us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is a loving God, he will hear. Because he is our covenant God, and when you hear that word covenant, above all things, think the cross. The blood of his covenant. So you could translate Spurgeon, because of the gospel, and look what it says, he has bound himself to hear me. He has bound himself to hear my prayers. We reap, Christian, what Christ has sown with his life and death through faith. We don't deserve it. We can't explain it. But it's eternally true. And prayer is an expression of our reaping. God has, Christ has earned, he has secured the right to go before the throne of God and cry out. James Motier says, that is part of the wonderful wonder of the way of prayer. Those who by grace have been given the status of righteousness in God's sight have been brought into the realm where effective prayer operates and have been given the right to exercise a ministry of prayer. <laughs> the prayer of a righteous man. The prayer of one saved by grace through faith in Jesus is powerful, has great power as it is working. few application thoughts to close as we launch into this new year. And your pastors do believe that this is, that this, we thank God for how he has built prayer into the life of our church, but all the more, all the more as the day approaches, do we want to grow of expressing our dependence on God and experiencing his power in our lives, in our church, in our community, 
in our family of churches around the globe through prayer. So a couple things, write these down. First of all, personally, create time to pray your way. Create time. We have to do this. And when I say create time to pray your way, Tim loves to go on prayer walks. Maybe one of you have a favorite room in the house that you want just like to close the door and get away from the kids and just spend 10 minutes praying. Whatever it might be, create time every day to pray. It won't happen automatically. But guess what? If that's daunting to you, how am I going to find time? This guy doesn't understand. I got four kids in diapers. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, go to him. The Spirit will grant you wisdom to figure out how to build into your busy schedule time with your Savior. Two, resolve to put a few words of prayer between you and whatever you do. Spurgeon actually, this was a habit of Spurgeon's, and I read about this and I thought, yes. And I prayed, Lord, do that in me. And what he means by that is simply, don't do anything without putting a few words to the Lord between you and whatever it is you're about to do. You're going to lunch with a brother? Great. Lord, help me to be humble and a blessing to, to Robin to, as we eat together. And please move on him to pick up the tap. You pray whatever you want. I don't... Just a few words. A few words. Sitting down with your dad, you come home. There's mom. You deal with him now. I've dealt with him for eight hours. Don't storm into that room, dad. Pray. Lord, help me. Help me to be grateful and not angry. Help me not to provoke my son, and help me help him see Christ in this situation. You know, you can do that in the length of a hallway. <laughs> you get the point, right? I don't need to belabor that. Resolve to put a few words of prayer between you and whatever you do. You know what Spurgeon did when he preached? And man, if I could appeal to the financial review team, I would love, we would love a crow's nest right over in that corner. But Spurgeon would step into the crow's nest seven steps up. And with every step, he'd pray. Holy Spirit, I believe in you. Holy Spirit, I believe you're here in power. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me with your presence to preach. He would preach with every step something connected to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Pray. Whatever you're about to do, just put a few words of prayer between you and it. Third, replace I will pray for you this week. Well, let me pray for you right now. We tend to put off prayer. Don't put off prayer. And Sunday's a wonderful time for that. How many times do you just find yourself in the row or in the lobby or in the parking lot or in the line to pick up the kids, and you're just talking? And, and if you're visiting, we build in an intimate way here. We, we believe in the one another's of Scripture, all 35 of them. We, 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 we believe that God wants us to be a part of one another's lives. So if you're here very long, you, you'll find yourself... You know, people talking, you say, yeah, pray for me tomorrow. I got a doctor's appointment. 
We tend to go, you know, I will pray for you. But why not just say, you know what? Thanks for humbly sharing that. Let me pray with you right now. And boom, you are in a moment of praying with a brother or sister. Replace I will pray for you this week. Oh, certainly pray for them this week. But replace that in the moment with let me pray with you right now. Four, plan to pray with your church. I say plan because we got to plan it. And if you're going to plan it, you got to know those opportunities to pray with your church. Um, Pre-service prayer, 9.30 every Sunday morning right here. Uh, that really is first and foremost for those who are serving. If you're serving on a Sunday morning, hopefully you're here pre-service prayer. We are praying for you. We are praying for the Lord to meet us in our service. Uh, and that can be a powerful time. Uh, that's open to the entire church every Sunday morning. You have a standing invitation to come join to come join those who will be serving you at pre-service prayer. Make it a point to participate in the fifth Sunday prayer and worship nights. We've gotten away from those. We're getting back to them in 2023. In fact, this month is our first fifth Sunday month. We'll hear more about that uh, next week. But here's what I want you to know right now. The fifth Sunday of January, which I believe is the 29th, we will be gathering here at 6 o'clock to pray together as a church, to sing together. Don't miss it. It's a wonderful time to learn things about your church, to pray with others, to be prayed for. Fifth Sunday, attend community group with a heart of prayer. Be ready. When visitors say, hey, so what are your community groups like? One of the things I tell them is, well, they're not prayer meetings but they should be characterized by prayer. We pray for one another. If your community group is not characterized by prayer, I submit go humbly talk to your community group leader. <laughs> but go to community group with a heart and attitude of prayer. Go ready to pray. Pray for someone. Pray about something. Let it be like Spurgeon said, the atmosphere. Pray on the way to community group. And then finally, grow your understanding of prayer. Prayer can be, it, 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 it can be a little bit mysterious. Nobody's figured it all out. But do you know what the Bible says about prayer? To help you guys grow your understanding of prayer, we are going to create this month a blog series. As of right now, it's eight parts. Um, every w w one day a week, probably Fridays, there will be a short blog post of some aspect of prayer that will be meant to educate and compel. Educate you about what the Word says about prayer and compel you by the grace of the gospel to pray want to grow your understanding of prayer, uh, make sure that that email from Sovereign Grace Church isn't going to your junk mail. <laughs> and yes, check your emails so that you can participate in that. Charles Spurgeon said this, prayer has become as essential to me as the heaving of my lungs 
and the beating of my pulse. By the grace and power of God, may it be so with us for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that as we start this new year, you've gathered us, not to hear from a preacher, but to hear from you through your word. Lord, we pray, we ask you, in the name of Jesus, that you would make us a people of prayer. That that would be one of the distinctives as people visit us or encounter us in the community. They believe in the power of prayer. Lord, make us like the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who was known above all things for his passion to pray. Lord, whether it's a small thing or the biggest thing. Lord, help us to live on our knees. Whether they are small, spontaneous prayers or planned out, heavy prayers. Lord, we look to you. And that's what our prayers say. We look to the God of grace and power. Lord, we're grateful that that this is not something we have to earn. For at the cross, it's already been earned for us, the privilege of prayer and the promise that you will never turn us away. Oh, you may not answer our prayers when and how we like, but you hear them, and you will work your wisdom and your purposes in our lives. So, Lord... Begin this work in us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.